And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. It's great to have you back. My name is Steve Larchuk. I am an attorney and healthcare advocate for many years. And many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain name registration. Learn about them by going to pair.com. That's P-A-I-R.com. And we start this week with the news, and we do have breaking news, the real thing, breaking news. If you care about health care reform, then, and you've been paying attention for a while, then the name Zeke Emanuel probably rings a bell. Well, it rings a bell because Zeke Emanuel was part of the effort to reform health care back in the 2010 days when we were working on the Affordable Care Act and even before that. And the reason it's so important is he was in the White House today. President Trump actually invited him to come and talk about health care. Now, of course, all the reports are that they disagreed, but he was in the building. He was in the room. And and for all of us who are looking for the slightest ray of sunshine, that is a big development because if the president is serious about wanting to have health care for all, and as he just repeated over the weekend, he will refuse to sign a bill that ultimately doesn't provide for that and reduce co-pays and deductibles and reduce the cost of pharmaceuticals, if he's actually honest to goodness serious about that then Zeke Emanuel is exactly the person you want him you want to have him listening to so that's uh, that made my day I hope it made yours uh, on the other hand while defending the Republican repeal plan the speaker Ryan has explained to us that it was really an act of mercy that it will really be an act of mercy to kick 14 million people off of their insurance in the first few months and leading up to 50 million uninsured within 10 years. And that's not just some crackpot, bleeding-heart liberal saying that on the radio. That's from the Congressional Budget Office. So uh, 50 million uninsured in 10 years. Now, what we're hearing from the Republicans and uh, uh, Secretary Price, HHS, new Secretary Price, who has hated the Affordable Care Act from before it was even passed, Their story is we're getting all ahead of ourselves because what is pending in front of Congress right now is just part one of a three-part plan. And we really need to just be patient and trust them. And part one is, yes, we're going to repeal the Affordable Care Act. We're going to schedule its complete demise in two years. Uh, We're going to throw a bunch of people off Medicare. We're going to Medicaid, I should say, and even Medicare. We're going to give back all the taxes that that were being assessed against the wealthy to help pay for Affordable Care Act. And we're going to, of course, blow a big hole in the budget because we won't have the money to pay for what's left. But we shouldn't get all excited about that. We're going to, they're going to vote on Thursday and just jam it over to the Senate and drop it in their laps. What they seem to forget is that when they say they're going to later mess around with the regulations and they're going to have part three which is a much bigger bill which requires 60 votes in the senate what they're really saying to us is remember when we told you the plan was to repeal and delay that's exactly what we're doing and when the president said over and over again that he was against that 
that he wasn't going to sign something that would repeal the Affordable Care Act until the replacement was in place, saying to us, we're going to do part one, which is repeal, and just trust us for the rest, is not what we're all about. And so it's, it's a hopeful sign that Zeke Emanuel was in the White House today. If we can have about 20 or 30 more very skilled health care advocates in the debate, it might begin to look like something uh, a little more serious and a little fairer. Uh, today, we are going to share with you an interview with Dr. Bruce Trigg. And we are departing from our usual format. Usually after the break, after the news, you hear a little commentary from me. But the topic today is going to be the opioid epidemic. Dr. Trigg is an expert. I have in the studio uh, as a co-host uh, Dr. Ann McGeary, who helped put this particular episode together. She's going to help uh, host the show. So when we come back from this very short break, we'll be joined by Bruce Trigg, Dr. Bruce Trigg, and we're going to talk about something that's on the mind of Americans from coast to coast, and that's the opioid addiction and epidemic. Talk to you on the other side. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So, America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Welcome, everyone, back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, healthcare advocate and attorney. Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world class web hosting and domain name registration. Learn more about them by going to pair.com. That's P A I R.com. Listeners to the program know that our usual format is for us to go into some commentary at this point about what's happened since the previous show. We're going to depart from that format a little bit because we have an enormously important topic today. Uh, When I travel around the country and I ask people, what are they thinking about? What's the most urgent thing? You know, it's not what you think. It's not even the economy. Uh, It is the opioid addiction. It, it is afflicting people of every economic status, from the poorest person to the wealthiest, from the youngest kids to elderly people. And so we wanted to devote the entire show this week to this topic. We have a terrific guest, but first let me say, joining me in the studio is Anne Elizabeth McGeary, Doctor of Public Health and a retired healthcare executive uh, with terrific hospital experience. On the phone, we have an expert in opioid addiction treatment, also a strong advocate for single payer. His name is Dr. Bruce Trigg. And what I'm going to do is hand the program over to Anne. I won't call her Dr. McGarry, although she's earned that title. But I'm going to hand it off to Anne, and she will uh, help us learn about Dr. Trigg. And we'll take it from there. So, Ann, why don't you pick it up? Thank you, Steve. Um, Our guest, as Steve said, is Dr. Bruce Trigg. 
uh, Dr. Trig Bruce, uh, would you please be so kind as to start by uh, telling us about your uh, professional background, your training, uh, and uh, your experience uh, in uh, uh, treating substance abuse? Sure, it's my pleasure, and I want to say good morning and how happy I am to be on this uh, show this morning. Um, well, I grew up in New York City, and I went to medical school in Washington, D.C., and did my training in pediatrics in, at Albert Einstein in the Bronx. And, um, and then I moved to uh, New Mexico. Um, I actually moved from Manhattan to Crown Point, New Mexico, a little town on the Navajo Reservation, um, to work with the Indian Health Service. And I had a, a federal scholarship that I was privileged to, to, to receive, um, a program called the National Health Service Corps, that uh, Bernie Sanders actually has worked to expand once again. That enabled me to go to medical school and then pay back my, my with time and, um, and service in a, in a provider shortage area. So I worked on the Navajo Reservation for two years and, um, and then on another reservation. And, um, and again, it, it was a, it definitely a cross-cultural experience. Um, uh, the Navajo, the Navajo is the largest native tribe in the United States, um, and with major problems of poverty and, uh, and you know historical trauma and having to deal with, uh, with racism that that people of color have to deal with in the United States, unfortunately. Um, and um, and that was my first experience, really, um, with um, with uh, with severe alcohol use disorder, as we call it now, you know, alcoholism. Uh, which has just been devastating and has been for, for you know, a long time in, in Native American communities. Um, a- after I finished my, my work with the Indian Health Service, I moved to Albuquerque and uh, started working with the New Mexico Department of Health and had a 23-year career um, as a public health physician and started out um, working in, as the, um, for many years as the director of the Sexually Transmitted Disease Clinic. Um, you know, dealing with gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, um, uh, and, and of, of course, a lot of the concern had to do with the HIV epidemic, which was uh, still quite, quite a, a, having quite an impact at that time. And because of that, we would ask people about drug use, which also put people at risk for HIV infection through needle use. And lo and behold, we found that um, New Mexico, um, which has had a long heroin problem for many years, um, that quite a few people were injecting drugs and uh, really uh, public health, because of our sort of safety net role, um, really had to address it because no one else was doing that. The private medical establishment wasn't really addressing that. And in 1998, New Mexico became the second state after Hawaii, actually, to pass a statewide harm reduction program. And harm reduction means that it's harm reduction is a philosophy and an approach to it, it really you could apply to anything that that does potential harm to people. But in in terms of drug use, um, harm reduction means that you offer people um, interventions that can help to protect them and their family and their community ultimately from the harm caused by what they're doing. People don't have to. To get these services, people don't have to be against 
you know, don't have to promise to stop using drugs. They don't have to tell us, that, you know, they're, they're willing to stop using drugs. We're, we're willing to work with people where they're at, you know, whether they are, are trying to stop using or they still enjoy using drugs, but they're willing to listen to how they can use the drugs more safely. So the, the classic intervention in harm reduction is um, needle um, exchange programs, needle and syringe exchange programs are some, sometimes called, where you give people clean needles and syringes and you show them how to use them safely. And in return, people bring back the syringes. And we started a statewide um, syringe exchange program in 1999. Um, and I helped to set that up a few years later, we learned that there was a, a medication called naloxone, or Narcan was the brand name, that could reverse overdoses. And, um, and we were one of the first states to start handing this out to people who were um, either injecting heroin or their family members or just people who would be around people that, that potentially could overdose. And this has since spread all over the United States. Um, in many states, there are now programs to provide naloxone. Um, in New York City, where I live now, there's a plan to get the police to carry it. And actually, in a number of states in the U.S., police, uh, of course, ambulances all, all have this. Um, and in many states, pharmacists can now prescribe it. So this is a, a, a medication that has no abuse potential and that can save lives and saves lives every day by either injecting or spraying, um, either injecting it in, in the muscle or under the skin or using a, a, a nasal cannula, just spraying it into a person's nose. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a bit of a miracle. Um, one state, uh, North Carolina, calls it the Lazarus Project. It's really like people rising from the dead, like Lazarus. And that, can, blue, be used, and that can be used even when uh, people, uh, their respirations are shallow. That, 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 that's correct. When, when, when people are uh, either with their breathing has slowed up so much that it looks like they are going to stop breathing. You, you, can, you can use this, especially if they're starting to turn blue or, you know, seem to be struggling. Um, and, uh, you know, so you don't have to wait till someone's completely um, has stopped breathing. But, uh, you know, usually you try to stimulate someone who, who seems to be falling asleep or nodding off and just make sure that, you know, you can wake them up. But if someone who's overdosing, and it usually doesn't happen rapidly. It usually happens over a period of time, even hours. Um, you know, if you can't stimulate someone to, to start breathing at a you know reasonable rate, um, uh, you, you, can, you can spray this in your nose or inject it, and people wake up. Doctor uh, Trigg, still need to go. Yeah, go ahead. Doctor Trigg, we're we're approaching a, a hard break here, and ah, it's okay. terrific that uh, the the breadth of experience you're bringing to the show today is great all of the listeners can see that and hear it i should say hear it and we're going to take a break but when we come back we're going to dive into a little bit more about what's going on now what what what's happening why is it happening and what what can we do about it but for the moment we're going to take a break and we will see you back on the other side this is healthcare politics with steve larchuk talk to you in a few minutes What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow, right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would of course prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. 
It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin, look at us, we're over here. Justin, Justin, OMG, he just looked, I love you, Justin, I love you. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mario Andretti. You know me as a race car driver, but I'm also a Meals on Wheels volunteer. I've raced against the sport's biggest personalities, but I've never met more vibrant, amazing people than the seniors served by Meals on Wheels. You can make a difference by dropping off a hot meal and saying a quick hello. So America, let's do lunch. Volunteer your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is Steve Larchuk, and in the studio with me today is Anne Elizabeth McGeary, Doctor of Public Health and retired healthcare administrator for major hospitals. On the telephone, we have Dr. Bruce Trigg, who's in New York City and an expert in addiction and the intersection of addiction and the epidemic of addictions and related deaths and disabilities and the impact of healthcare policies. So this is a perfect topic and we've devoted the entire show today to that purpose. Uh, The statistics sometimes uh, numb our minds, but uh, I did a little research over the past few days and it is just shocking how horrible this addiction uh, explosion is, and we haven't necessarily seen the worst of it yet. So I'm going to hand off the uh, the show back to uh, Dr. McGeary, uh, Ann McGeary, who is going to pick up where she left off with Dr. Trigg. 
Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Dr. Trigg, you just told us about your experience uh, in uh, working with patients and medications. Can you tell us, uh, uh, can you explain to us about those medications and how, how they act and how they work? Sure. It's a, a pleasure to do that. Um, so the last um, decade, I've been involved in treating opiate addiction um, with, um, with medication. And, um, and this is a well-established well practice. Uh, methadone has been around for over 50 years. It was first developed uh, um, as a treatment for opiate addiction in New York City at the Rockefeller Institute in the, in the 1960s during an earlier opiate epidemic, actually in, in, to a significant degree it, uh, affecting veterans returning from Vietnam War. Um, and there was a, a huge crisis in the United States and, and in New York City. And this, this long-acting opiate called methadone, a synthetic opioid, um, was found to be incredibly effective in treating addiction. And methadone uh, and a newer drug called buprenorphine are now used all over the United States and actually all over the world in 80 or 90 countries in the world. So this is the standard of treatment for opiate addiction. But unfortunately, it's very misunderstood. And, um, and only in the last few years um, has there been a, a, a major effort in the United States to use medications to treat opiate addiction because of this horrible epidemic that Steve mentioned of, of people dying of overdoses. So, um, so I would like to explain this, partly because of the stigma, you know, the, 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 the shame and the misunderstanding of, of addiction and treatment. Um, addiction is a brain disease. It's a chronic brain disease. People have no control of their drug use once they are dependent or addicted. Um, I do want to say that um, we're trying to change some of the language in, in, in this field, and instead of referring to drug addiction or addicts, we use the term now opioid use disorder. And that's not to be politically correct. I want Mr. Trump, who I'm sure is listening to this, to understand that. It's not about political correctness. It's about how language reflects how we our attitudes. And, um, you know, I mean, I happen to have high cholesterol. I would hate to be known as that doctor who's hypercholesterolemic, you know, I happen to be a person. So we don't like to refer to people by their disease. So, you know, a person with an opiate addiction or a person with opioid use disorder is much, much better way to discuss this and to call someone a drug addict. So why are we giving an opioid to someone who's addicted to opioids? And the reason is very simple. It takes away the sickness and craving, which is what continues the addiction for people. It's the craving for the drug and the sickness, the fear of the withdrawal. So by eliminating those two symptoms, you've essentially made someone normal again. Methadone and buprenorphine are very long-acting. If you're using heroin or oxycodone, you have to take it many times a day, four, five, six times a day. Your entire life is consumed with needing to get this drug so that you don't get sick. Methadone and buprenorphine are taken once a day. You take it in the morning, and that means you have 24 hours to be a person, to be a worker and a student and a parent, and a, right? And, you know, do everything you need to do. 
And, um, and in fact, even if you miss the next day's medication, you'll still be fine. So you really have some leeway, but mo- the ideal way is to take these medicines every day. Methadone can only be dispensed by methadone clinics for treatment of addiction. Methadone is also used for pain. It's an opioid. But, um, but if you're treating addiction, it has to be done at a methadone clinic. And the newer medicine, buprenorphine, um, and the brand name for that is Suboxone, it's, it's, which is, it's better known as, um, it, it, that can be prescribed by any primary care doctor. So you can, you know, and more, more recently, actually, the government has changed the rules and nurse practitioners and physician's assistants can prescribe Suboxone or buprenorphine. So that means that like any other medical problem, you go see your primary care doctor and you get your diabetes treated and you get your you know, high cholesterol treated. And if you're addicted to opiates, you get your addiction treated by taking this medicine that's prescribed and you pick up in a pharmacy and you take it every day. So it's, um, it's trying to normalize the treatment and again, remove some of the stigma um, that, you know, that's associated, for example, with methadone, we have to go to a clinic every day. So, um, so these two treatments are very effective and it would save huge numbers of lives if people were, had better access to these treatments, which we've fortunately been seeing because of the expansion of Medicaid to a, to a large degree, the expansion of the of access to health insurance through the Affordable Care Act, and especially the Medicaid expansion, has meant that hundreds of thousands of Americans who are suffering from this opioid um, use disorder now have access to um, insurance that pays for methadone or buprenorphine. So the decision should be made, like any other medical decision, based on a person's um, you know, uh, um, life situation and on which medication they prefer to have. And, you know, if, if, for example, if someone doesn't have good transportation, then a, a methadone clinic where you have to go every day, um, at least at the beginning, is not really an option. Um, so I've had patients who travel 200 miles to Albuquerque where I was prescribing buprenorphine, and I could see them back on a monthly basis, which is, you know, not that un- not unreasonable. Um um, medication-assisted therapy ideally includes psychosocial support. I mean, people have other psychological problems. They have, might have psychiatric problems. They may be depressed, anxious, have PTSD, and all those issues need to be addressed and treated um, like you would for any other patient. Um, so, you know, the, the, the goal is to treat people holistically um, and to enable them to go through a process of recovery. People are more complicated with than just here's a pill, goodbye, you're cured. Um, especially because of uh, the, you know the years that many people spent addicted, they have other issues on their plate. They may have lost their children. They may have educational problems, you know, job problems. So we try to address that in a methadone clinic. There are counselors um, who patients are required to see on a regular basis for buprenorphine prescribing, we're required to refer people to see counselors and um, or therapists to, to help them along in their recovery. But these are amazingly life-saving drugs, and they do not deserve the stigma and misunderstanding. Until very recently, many rehab programs in the United States, including you know programs where you pay $50,000 a month for, for rehab, 
refused to allow people to be on these medications. They said they well, we're abstinence-based. Our goal is to get people off all medicine. All and Dr. Trigg, I hate to uh, interrupt you. Oh. Okay. Uh, we're learning so much. Uh, as most things in life, it's more complicated than it looks. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's harder than it looks. Uh, who knew? Nobody knew how complicated healthcare was, according to our president. In any event, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to really uh, talk about the addiction explosion. Uh, what is uh, the intersection between the the public policy and the nature mm-hmm. of the of the uh, addiction but we have to take a break so everyone stand by join us in just a few minutes and we'll pick up with dr trigg this is healthcare politics with steve larchuk you're listening to win workers independent news a diversified media enterprises production I'm Doug Cunningham. Hundreds of thousands of workers in the Food Chain Workers Alliance and SEIU's United Service Workers West will rise up in a general strike resistance action on May Day. May 1st is International Workers Day. A statement on the United Service Workers West Facebook page made the call to join the day without the people general strike on May Day. In part, the statement said, quote, The time has come, the time to fight the attacks on the freedom, dignity, and human rights that are corrupting our communities, our country, and our Constitution. It's time to stand up as a people against fascism and autocratic leadership. It's time to resist, end quote. SEIU United Service Workers West's David Huerta says that tens of thousands of his members will walk off their jobs. Workers everywhere are being urged to join the May Day strike. Hashtag May One Strike is an invitation from the Food Chain Workers Alliance and SEIU USWW to build the May Day general strike. 900 striking Rockford, Illinois public schools workers coming back to work Monday after a three-day strike. Ask Me Council 31's Ed Sadlowski says the strike was legal and the workers had strong support from the Rockford Education Association. We took a look at it and made a collective decision and said, hey, look, we're going to go out on our terms and we're going to go back in on our terms for now. And uh, hopefully that would be enough to prompt some movement, some good faith movement by the employer. But that's yet to be seen. So on Monday, folks are going to return to their jobs in a legal fashion, a legal fashion, and they're going to have a stronger union as a result of it. We'll deal with what comes next after Monday. The workers went out on the limited strike to protest unfair labor practices by the Rockford Public Schools. The workers' wages are low, and they say the school district was not bargaining in good faith to reach a new labor contract. Disney must pay $3.8 million for violating minimum wage and overtime laws. The huge entertainment corporation that owns ABC News illegally charged employees too much for their work costumes while failing to pay legally required overtime. The U.S. Department of Labor says 16,000 Florida Disney workers will get back wages. The multi-billion dollar Uber company has failed to overturn a Seattle ordinance giving Uber drivers the right to unionize. The Teamsters are mounting an effort to organize Uber drivers in Seattle. A Washington state judge ruled against Uber's effort to legally overturn the city ordinance. U.S. Chamber of Commerce has a separate suit against Seattle for giving Uber, Lyft, and other taxi drivers the right to form unions. Seattle's elected city council unanimously passed the union rights ordinance in 2015. Sponsored by Ironworkers Impact, now reserving spots for this year's groundbreaking conference, welcoming contractors to grow their business by networking and attending world-class breakouts. More on this event in San Diego, happening March 19th through the 22nd, is found online at impact-net.org under events. You've been listening to WIN, Workers Independent News. For more information, visit laborradio.org. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. 
You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's gonna be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't, it's too heavy. Oh my God. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin, look at us, we're over here. Justin, Justin, OMG, he just looks, I love you, Justin, I love you. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers, but that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. This is your host, Steve Larchuk. In the studio with me today is Dr. Ann Elizabeth McGeary. She's a doctor of public health and a retired health care executive for major hospitals. And we also have on the telephone today Dr. Bruce Trigg, who is an expert in addictions. And we've been discussing the whole show today this uh, opioid and related drugs uh, epidemic, which is so much more than that. Uh, Doing my research, it's sounding like it is uh, something that we tend to count in deaths, but let me suggest that that's just the beginning. If you have someone in your family who is afflicted with an addiction, uh, you die a little bit every day, and so do they. Uh, Obviously, there are healthcare impacts. There are impacts to the economy. Uh, people who have these problems are not especially, especially reliable employees. So it, it's devastating, and it's not just with the uh, the folks who are at the lower end of the economic ladder. It, it goes up and down. So I wanted to start this segment, uh, Dr. Trigg, by just asking you about this. Is this really something that only afflicts the poor? No. It, 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 that's never been true, but even, it's even less true now because of um, the, the way the way many people, uh, probably ninety percent of people who become addicted now, start out with addiction to pain pills, and the pain pill, excuse me, the pain pill issue is incredible. I mean, the U.S. actually uses about ninety percent of the world's oxycodone a very powerful synthetic um, opiate pain medicine. Either Americans are in extreme pain compared with the rest of the world, or this medicine is being overprescribed, and in fact, that is the situation. It's, um, so, um, so that's how people start out, and it might be something as simple as uh, you know, having a, a sprained ankle, and you get a prescription, and a certain percent of people getting pain medicine, um, especially if they're getting large amounts, are going to become um, dependent or, or as we say, addicted to it. So, um, no, the, the epidemic now is affecting people in all walks of life. And, of course, we hear about the celebrities and the, 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 the famous people all the time in the newspapers. Um, it affects, and, and that may be why the society seems to be changing somewhat and saying, well, maybe we our previous approaches of, you know, locking everyone up uh, behind bars may not be a good approach. Maybe we need more rational and more humane approaches. And of course, it's been a big issue in the presidential election. Um, and every candidate had to address it. 
And I will point out that Mr. Trump said that he was going to get more people on treatment, and he's not going to be able to do that by eliminating the Affordable Care Act. There's no way. Well, that leads us into something you and I were discussing when we talked recently. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about before and after. And when I say before and after, I mean before the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, what some people call Obamacare, before and after. Now, before, you were practicing out in New Mexico. Is that correct? That's right. All right. So tell me what it was like before the Affordable Care Act. What was it like treating people? Um, It was a huge problem because um, um, methadone was not covered by any insurance, so people were paying out of pocket. And it was about $10 a day. Um, but that adds up, especially, uh, you know, when your kids need, uh, need clothes and books. And, um, and um, so people were constantly in and out of treatment. Uh, the Medicaid was very stingy about who got um, c- uh, covered. Um, so most of the patients I had had no insurance whatsoever. Um, so, uh, so methadone um, was $10 a day, and the buprenorphine treatment was about $30 a day. So um, it was really a, a huge barrier. Um, New Mexico was one of the, I think, 27 states that expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. And as a result, it was the most dramatic change I'd ever seen in my career. Suddenly, almost all my, virtually all my patients had, had Medicaid. They had insurance, and we could actually discuss which treatment they preferred and which would be better for them. Um, Medicaid, um, the, the Affordable Care Act requires that um, that both private insurance and uh, Medicaid uh, provide treatment for addiction um, in, in what they call parity at the same, if, in other words, they can't discriminate against treatment for addiction as opposed to treatment for cancer or heart disease. They can't limit the, 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 the amount of time that people are, are in treatment. They can't limit the number of, of follow-up visits. So it's made a huge, a huge difference in the states that expanded Medicaid. Um, it's made some difference even in the states that didn't because it did provide some additional ways um, for states to, uh, to, to treat, to, to have funds for treating addiction. Uh, all that is potentially going down the drain as we speak, and it's, it's, um, it's going to be devastating. Um, already, only, a few, you know, only maybe 20% of people with opiate addiction were getting appropriate treatment even now, and, uh, and the concern is, the fear is that, it's gonna, it, is that even fewer people are going to be treated. So this is an incredibly important moment for us to try to, um, you know, right, right now the future of Affordable Care Act is somewhat in the air. But the, the, um, if we go back to the way things were before, it's going to be a huge, huge mistake. Well, let's take, for, let's, let's take the president at his word that he uh-huh. actually does care about the opioid addiction and that a new plan should cover everybody and make sure that uh, everyone who needs some sort of therapy or, or help is going to get it. Let's let's just take for a, a moment the assumption that he means what he says. If, if you were in the room with him, what would you tell the president we need to do? Well, I I, I think it's, it's it's a mistake to um, to to eliminate the Affordable Care Act and not put something in place that's 
actually better. And, and you know, most Americans, you know, polls for, for decades have been showing that people support a government-funded national health program, you know, what people call um, improved Medicare for all. Um, once you have co-pays and deductibles, um, it's going to be um, people are not going to be in, remain in treatment. And the other thing I didn't mention is that um, these effective treatments, they're long-acting. Um, we're treating a chronic disease, and therefore people need to stay in treatment for a long time. It's the same as diabetes. You don't, you know, you don't say, well, I'm going to put you on insulin for six months. People need to be on insulin as long as they need insulin. And for many people with, um, with opioid use disorder, that means years at least of treatment, and for some people, decades and even lifelong. So it's, um, the problem with this disease is that when people discontinue the treatment, they relapse. We shouldn't be surprised about that. I mean, if a diabetic stops their insulin, they will relapse. Their sugar will go up. You know, if you stop taking your high blood pressure pills, your blood pressure will go up. It, unfortunately, for people with opioid use disorder, uh, about 80% will relapse within a year of discontinuing treatment. So, um, so you know, is that bleak news? I mean, it, it's nothing surprising. It's a chronic disease. People's brains have changed from years of opiate use, and to have a normal life, they need to stay in treatment. All right. And the healthcare well, system that's that's only looking at the bottom line is is, is um, rather than rather than one that's designed to take care of patients, which is what Medicare for All is, 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 going to, is, is not going to help us. All right. Well, Dr. Trigg, we're going to take another break, and when we come back, I, would, I just want to focus on the single-payer program and why you think it is so essential in meeting the opioid addiction crisis. This is Steve Larchuk. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we will pick up with Dr. Trigg, so stand by. What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would of course prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, I found a toy dinosaur over on the playground by Smith Street. It had this phone number on it, and, well, I just wanted to make sure the dinosaur made it back to its little owner. When I found the little sippy cup, I just had to give you a call. It's for a kid, you know? I know my son gets super attached to the smallest things, even a fire truck, and I'd be happy to drop it off. We'd do anything for kids, yet one in six children in the U.S. struggle with hunger. Help end childhood hunger. Contact Food Bank of West Central Texas, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop star's concert. Do you A, wear earplugs? Isn't this fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel. B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's going to be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing. I can't. It's too heavy. Oh, my God. Ah. Or D, just roll with it. Woo, Justin, look at us, we're over here. Justin, 
Justin, Justin, OMG, he just looked, I love you, Justin, I love you. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers, but that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org slash AL. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. What if I told you that a tornado was going to happen tomorrow right where you live? That it would touch down at exactly 3.17 p.m. and I told you the exact path it would take. You would, of course, prepare. You would talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you a tornado will strike tomorrow, but shouldn't you have a plan anyway? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Healthcare is a human right, and you are back with Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. I am your host, Steve Larchuk. I have in the studio with me today Dr. Ann McGeary, Doctor of Public Health and retired healthcare executive. And on the phone, we have Dr. Bruce Trigg, and we've been having a fascinating discussion about the opioid addiction and how that intersects with healthcare policy. And with the time we have remaining, I want to ask you a Dr. Trigg, how you feel about single-payer programs? Some people call it Medicare for all. Do you think that's something that we should all be fighting for? Oh my goodness, yes. That is that is that is really the solution to um, to many problems in our society. I mean, essentially, it says what kind of society do we want to have? Um, a single-payer system really says let's design a healthcare system that works in the interest of patients, not in the interest of pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, or doctors for that matter, right? We want a system that works for patients. And if we design that, it would be a single-payer system. It would be what every other Western industrialized country has figured out. Some, you know, Germany done figured it out 100 years ago. Um, you know, the U.S. pays the highest medication costs in the entire world because we have no national health system and no ability to negotiate prices, which is absurd. Every other country negotiates prices with big pharma. In the United States, it's just a a free-for-all. And as a result, um, for example, by the way, um, buprenorphine, which is um, now a um, a generic medication, it's 30 times more expensive than, than methadone. There's no reason for that, and they shouldn't get these companies should not be able to price gouge like that. Um, naloxone, the life-saving medicine that reverses overdoses, the form that's been approved by the Food and Drug Administration, it's $4,500. $4,500 for something that should cost $0.10. Cents. It, it's a little device that actually tells you, you know, it talks to you and tells you how to administer it. But the medication itself has been generic for, for decades. Um, so this, so we would eliminate, I mean, we can't have a market-based system that meets the needs of the population. We can't have co-pays and deductibles that keeps people out of care. 
the purpose of a healthcare system is to encourage people to get care. You want people to be treated, not try to keep them out the door. So, um, you know, HR 676, the National Improved Medicare for All, is the solution. And um, and now that the whole healthcare question is up in the air, I think we should be advocating for the best solution for Americans. And there's no question that that's, that's single-payer. Well, when you're out there advocating for single payer, I'm sure you run into people who say they're against it. Uh, what what do they say to you? You know, it's very rare that I find someone who doesn't think that if the government just paid 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 the cost, like Medicare. I mean, many most Americans have been around Medicare because they're if they don't have it, their parents or their grandparents have it. It works. It's a very efficient system. And it really, to a large degree, eliminates the private insurance companies. The main objection I hear is that it's not politically feasible. But um, at this point in time, you know, all bets are off in in our political system. Why not advocate for for the best best solution at this time? Um, Again, polls show that it's supported by the public. It's supported by doctors. um, It's certainly supported by nurses. a large part of the labor movement. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is a time to be uh, to be backtracking. You know, let's let's go for a system that's going to really serve the interests of the, the American people. Well, if you're following the news, you know that uh, Paul Ryan and the Republican Party is pushing a plan that where they say, well, Medicaid expansion will carry on, but really what they're saying is it'll carry on for about two or three years. So let's assume it's now two or three years from now and all that Medicaid expansion has gone away. What's going to happen with the opioid addiction epidemic? Um, this, this is not the time to, to be making moves that are going to get remove people from, from, from having insurance. Um, you know, the, the, the Medicaid expansion um, was, of course, the bulk of the new people insured under the uh, Affordable Care Act. And that includes about 700,000 people with op- opioid use disorder who now, for the first time, like I said, with my own experience in New Mexico, now have access to the evidence-based proven treatments. And um, it, if people have to pay out of pocket or have large co-pays, um, it's it's just not going to happen. We're going to we're going to the epidemic is going to worsen, and, uh, and, and we're going to be more trouble. Well, Doctor Trigg, if people wanted to learn more about any of the topics that you've covered today, where would you suggest they go? Um, I have a few suggestions. Um, certainly, the, the, the website of Physicians for a National Health Program. PNHP is a huge, it's a terrific resource if you want to learn more about single payer um, in, and, 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 and the, the current political situation around the Affordable Care Act. Also, there's, a, there's an activist a, a part of PNHP, related to PNHP, there's an activist group called HOPE, healthoverprofit.org. And, um, and they're mobilizing right now to be active in this incredibly key period. And then um, I, I, I was recently um, very much um, affected by a book called Chasing the Scream about the, the history of the war on drugs by a man named uh, Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. Um, and the last recommendation I'll make is a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts. In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, 
Close Encounters with Addiction by a Canadian doctor named Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E. Um, and, and that was actually a bestseller in Canada. And it's, a, it's about this doctor in Vancouver and his experience, personal experience, treating people with addictions and really looking at, 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 at some of the causes of addiction, which, um, which often have to do with what we call adverse childhood events. People who had trauma of different types growing up are more likely um, to be um, impacted by, 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 by medicine and drugs and, and, and become addicted. So these are all, I think, very interesting and humane uh, uh, looks at it. The, um, the war on drugs has been a disaster. Um, we'd be much better off if we had a system like in Portugal where use of drugs is a public health issue. All right, and Dr. Um, Trigg, we could go on and on, and I, I hope that someday we'll be able to have you back on the program and we can I talk a little so. bit more. Uh, but those are terrific suggestions. I'm going to post a blog to our website, and when we get on the other side of this next commercial break, I will tell our listeners where they can go to find those resources, and I'll look forward to that. But thank you so much. And I hope that uh, things work out for the best. So we're going to take a break. This is Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it, and you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. When it comes to saving money, don't act like a baby. Goo goo gaga. Be the boss and make a budget. I'm the boss, baby. You're the boss of me. I am the boss of you. Or not. M2. Or not. M2. Need a little help? Aren't you going to do any work? I'm very busy delegating. Create a personalized savings plan. We can share. You obviously didn't go to business school. And get other tools and tips at feedthepig.org. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Imagine if I told you that an earthquake was going to hit tomorrow right where you live. That it would be 6.5 in magnitude with aftershocks occurring twice 25 minutes apart. You'd no doubt talk with your loved ones and you'd make a plan today. It's true, I can't tell you an earthquake will happen tomorrow. But what if it does? Shouldn't you have a plan? Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait, communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. And thank you so much for joining us this week on Healthcare Politics with Steve Larchuk. Uh, 
this topic this week, opioid addiction, just breaks your heart. Uh, we have to do something. We cannot pretend it's not a problem. And so we're terribly grateful to Dr. Bruce Trigg for joining us and telling us uh, that there is a way that we can make this better. But it's like everything else. It's going to cost money, and we can't pretend that it won't. The views expressed by the hosts and guests represent their individual points of view and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of the sponsors, advertisers, station, or management. How's that for a disclaimer? Many thanks to our national sponsor, Pair Networks, world-class web hosting and domain registration. Our music is courtesy of Mike Stout. Our co-host today... Producer and booker is Dr. Ann McGeary. Many thanks to her. Our logo is courtesy of Angel, Angel, excuse me, Colini. Engineering and technical support is provided by TUE Media. Please visit our website, healthcare-politics.com. Healthcare-politics, healthcare-politics.com. And please remember the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. Of all forms of injustice, inequality in health care is the most shocking and inhumane. Next week, we have a terrific show with Dr. Chip Teal from Maine talking about elder care. But that winds it up for us today. Please, until next time, always dare to be reasonable. This is Steve Larchuk, Healthcare Politics. What other dirty little secret all over this land? A free market monster with invisible hands. Thousands sick and dying because they got no cover. Our neighbors and friends, our sisters and brothers Employer insurance with millions unemployed Working minimum wage where they got no choice The only place without universal care Rest off, get it, what the heck's a problem over here?